It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. This is Thanksgiving weekend, and of course, this podcast is called Discover Your Spiritual Identity, and it's all about the revelation of the names and the titles of the children of God. And there are hundreds of ways God has described who we are, and it's very important for us to identify with the names that God has given us and then boldly walk in that revelation. Well, I wondered how I could connect these two relevant things this weekend, Thanksgiving and the revelation of the names of the children of God. What name would connect best with this particular celebration? And then in prayer, God spoke to me to focus our attention on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is a statement Jesus made to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. He told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem, and he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this was a primary role that they were called to fill. This was a primary title that would rest upon the early disciples, the early followers of Jesus. They were his witnesses. Now, in the original Greek, the word translated witnesses is martus, M-A-R-T-U-S, and it's also translated martyr. Well, how do you connect the dots between that? Because if you are a true witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have got to have a martyr mentality. Maybe not literally losing your life, but you've got to have a martyr mentality where you do not consider your own life. You do not consider your own well-being. You are willing to suffer rejection. You are willing to suffer ridicule. You're willing to die to anything and anyone, any relationship, any opportunity All of those things fade in comparison to your responsibility to be a voice proclaiming the reality of Jesus Christ in this world. And if all kinds of negative things and repercussions come as a result, you have a mindset to walk through it. Whatever needs to be, let it be. I stand to testify of the truth of who Jesus is. And if you do that, Proverbs 14.25 says, a true witness delivers souls. Why do souls need to be delivered? Because souls are bound by sin, bound by deception, bound by demonic influence, bound by the fallen nature, bound by the delusion of this world, all that it throws at us to try and allure us and entice us away from God. But a true witness is standing in the middle of this swirl of darkness, delivering souls. No wonder Jesus is called the faithful and true witness in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. What is a witness anyway? 
of witnesses. Number one, one who publicly affirms by word or action a religious faith or conviction. Number two, a witness is one who has personal knowledge. And number three, a witness is something or someone serving as evidence or proof. Well, I can truthfully say I fulfill all three of those definitions because for 50 years I've been publicly affirming by word and by action the conviction that Jesus rose from the dead. He died on a cross for the sins of humanity and he conquered death, hell, and the grave in order to set us free. But number two, I'm also someone who has personal knowledge because I have met him. I don't just know about a historical Christ. I know the living Savior, the one who arose and said, behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have met him. I have encountered him. And then the third definition is something serving as evidence or proof. Well, my life is evidence that Jesus is real. I was in a totally different religious mindset. In 1970, I was a teacher of yoga at four universities. I ran a yoga ashram. I was immersed in Far Eastern mystical thought. I was an avid New Ager. I was very devoted to that mindset. And in one day's time, God turned me around. And I realized Jesus meant what he said literally in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I'm a witness of that. I'm a witness of that. And if I get backlash, it's okay, because I have a martus or a martyr mindset. See, the word translated witnesses is also translated martyr, and it translates to this fact that we are here for this purpose. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? And the Lord responded by saying, for this cause, I was born into the world. For this purpose, I came here to bear witness of the truth. Think of that. Then he said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, if Jesus, the firstborn son, could say that, you should be able to say that. I should be able to say that this is our number one priority. For this cause I was born, for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth will hear my voice. In fact, I believe we are the generation that will see Matthew 24 verse 14 come to pass. That verse says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So many people spend much of their time focusing on the negative things that will happen in the last days, the judgments, the tribulation, the hardship, the persecution, and all of that is true but it will also be the greatest time of harvest that's ever been seen on planet earth. In fact, right toward the end of Revelation, an angel flies through the heavens and cries aloud to the Son of God and says, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Why at that time would such a proclamation be made? Because God will have representatives in all the world 
declaring the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of denominationalism, not the gospel of intellectualism, but the gospel of the kingdom, the real and power-filled kingdom of God that changes people's lives dramatically, that brings healing to the sick and deliverance to the oppressed, that gospel of the kingdom will be preached globally as a witness to all nations through every means possible, through the internet, but also through personal presentations of the gospel in mass gatherings and one-on-one. It doesn't matter. We've got a job to do. We are called to be witnesses. Now, you may be saying about now, well, how does this tie in with Thanksgiving? Well, first, before I get to Thanksgiving, let me mention the first one who gave a valid witness in this world after the fall of Adam and Eve, and that was their son, Abel. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. What a powerful passage. First of all, what kind of gift did Abel offer to God? He offered a lamb, a blood sacrifice. Why wasn't Cain received? It could have been his attitude in worship, or it could have been the fact that he brought of the fruit of the ground, and that represented human labor, and you cannot earn by works of righteousness or by religious activity. You cannot earn a status of acceptability in the sight of God. There must be the shedding of blood, a blood sacrifice. And so Abel witnessed that truth, and because he witnessed that truth, God witnessed for him. And we're not told exactly what happened, but I believe literal fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's sacrifice. Literal fire. You may say, is that biblical? Yes, it happened all through the Bible. At the dedication of the tabernacle, at the dedication of the temple, fire fell from heaven. At Elijah's command, more than once, fire fell from heaven. I can imagine when Abel offered up a bloody lamb, the consuming fire of God fell on that altar, and he became the first martyr. It wasn't just Cain through jealous rivalry between two brothers that rose up and killed him. It was a demonic attack. See, Satan normally cannot move in this world except he moves in and through human beings. That's the legal arrangement. The scripture says the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. So even God abides by that arrangement. And when God moves in this world, normally he moves only in and through human beings. This is our charge. This is where we have dominion. And that's sometimes a good thing and often a bad thing now that we are in a fallen state in mass. I'm talking about the entire human race. But Abel offered up an acceptable sacrifice to God and suffered an attack that was funneled through his brother Cain. I believe the demons wanted to get to Abel, but they had to find a willing vessel. And because Cain was enraged and he was filled with anger and jealousy, those negative human emotions were like 
a magnet that attracted the metal of demonic influence, and the demonic powers funneled their anger and rage against the truth through Cain and filled him with the desire to murder his own brother, which I believe he regretted because God showed him mercy later on. And I believe he was very remorseful, very repentant, or God would not have shown him the kind of mercy he did. But my main point is that he became the first martyr because he witnessed the truth. And because of that, he being dead still speaks. Because when you witness to the truth, your testimony lives beyond your human span of existence. You may live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. But if you really witness the truth in a relevant way, in a powerful way, in a long-lasting way, it passes down through generations. It lasts far beyond the day of your demise, and your voice will still speak even when you're dead. You may say, well, what's that got to do with the pilgrims? I thought you said you were going to connect this to Thanksgiving. I need to do that right now. See, the first Thanksgiving took place in 1621. That's almost 400 years ago. Next year, it will be 400 years, four centuries since the first Thanksgiving, when 90 Native Americans and 53 pilgrims came together to express thanks to God for enabling them to endure the coldness of the winter and the starvation that they faced. It killed off about half of their number. There were 102 pilgrims on the Mayflower, plus some of those that manned the ship, and only 53 were left after the devastation that they went through during the winter months. They could have become bitter. They could have been filled with anger toward God, we came over here to the new world so that we could have religious freedom, so that we could serve you, God, and you let half of us die. They could have accused God. That's exactly what Satan wanted Job to do. But instead, they found something to be thankful for, that half of them lived, and that they had found this bond of friendship with the local Indians. It was all a divine setup. It was quite an amazing thing how it all happened. Many years prior to that, Squanto, an Indian, had been carried away to Spain and sold there as a slave, and he was taken in by some friars who taught him the Christian faith, and he ended up in England working with a shipbuilder, and there he learned the English language. I guarantee you, throughout all of that, traumatic experience of being sold as a slave and shipped around different places. I guarantee you, Squanto did not realize that God was training him for a very important event that would live on far beyond his lifespan. See, it all worked this way when the pilgrims were suffering and, and dying off probably every week. They were down to the ration of five kernels of corn a day. No wonder when they held the first Thanksgiving, the first thing they did was eat five kernels of corn, thankfully and worshipfully, remembering what God had brought them out of. It would be a good thing if we do that too, if we remember what God has brought us out of before we start thanking him for what he's brought us into. 
Well, anyway, during that tough winter, Samoset, an Indian leader, befriended the pilgrims, and he stunned them by walking up to their settlement and greeting them in English. How could this be? It's because God set it up. For years, for decades, God was weaving these details together. And then Samoset introduced them to Squanto, who became their interpreter, and he taught them the ways of the land. And along with Samoset, he introduced them to Massasoit, the local Indian chief. And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. Not only did they survive, they thrived after that. And they became part of the foundation of a nation that was based on freedom of worship. Passion for that goal drove them to go through all of the misery they faced in order to establish a place where freedom of religion could reign. Now, we're in a generation where that's under threat again. And we've got to have a martus, a martyr mindset, and witness the truth to this generation because the only thing that can push back some of the diabolical influences that are affecting our culture, that are affecting the political realm, that are affecting the realm of medicine and healthcare, we see all these dark things coming in to try and bring a snare of a, a draconian kind of control over the entire world. The only thing that can successfully withstand that and push it back is an awakening among God's people and millions that will stand up for the truth and witness the reality of Jesus Christ. And an outbreak of revival will push back the enemy's hand. I guarantee you. Well, Thanksgiving was established in 1789 when George Washington set aside that day after a request by Congress that he make such a proclamation. However, after he left office, Thomas Jefferson chose not to do it. And celebration was intermittent after that until Abraham Lincoln. And this really got to me when I read it that in 1863, right in the middle of the Civil War that lasted from 1861 to 1865, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. That's the way it was worded. When the battlefields were littered with thousands of dead bodies, when anguish was in almost every home, when there was a rending of the states that had one time fused themselves together to be the United States of America, and now this conflict arose over the institution of slavery. What a horrible thing. And in the middle of it all, all that bloodshed, all that pain, all that misery, Abraham Lincoln set aside a day to thank God for what was left for what was good, that there was a cause worth fighting for. And yes, many had died, but many were still alive and the cause was still alive and the, the success of that cause was in sight. And so they thanked God in advance for a resolving of this horrid thing called the Civil War. God did it. They won. The North prevailed. The cause was accomplished. Freedom came to the slaves. The Emancipation Proclamation went throughout the land, and you know the rest of the story. 
but certainly it could be traced back to the fact that a president who was embroiled in a very difficult presidency stood for the truth and said, we need to thank God in the midst of our misery. We need to thank God in the midst of our division. We need to thank God in the midst of this horrid dark cloud that has come over the united but now divided states of America. If it worked for Lincoln, it will work for us. He had a martus, a martyr mindset. He was a witness in his way of the truth of the need to thank God for what was good. He suffered death. He suffered backlash. Was that just an assassin or was that a demonic backlash funneled through a human being just like Abel dying in the beginning? I tend to believe that that was the case. That doesn't mean that we shut our mouths. That doesn't mean that we hold our peace. In fact, the Bible said, cry aloud and spare not. Do not hold your peace. I've set watchmen upon my walls which will not hold their peace day or night, God said. I have a couple scriptures I want to include before I end. In Isaiah 43, verse 12, God said, I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. In Hebrew, the tetragrammaton, yad heh vav heh, which means Yahweh. It's a personal name. He said, you are my witnesses, says Yahweh, that I am God. Well, he was talking to a monotheistic nation in the midst of polytheistic nations. They were surrounded by those who believed in many deities, many gods, many goddesses. But God said, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses that I am God. Have the Jewish people suffered backlash from that? You better believe it. Look at their history. If there has been a nation that's been through torturous treatment by other nations, it's the nation of Israel. Why? Partially because of their backsliding. Certainly that's the case. But one of the main reasons is from the beginning, they had a revelation of God. They met God at Mount Sinai. They heard the Ten Commandments, which have become the basis of law in the Western world. And now that's being eroded in a horrible way. We need a generation that will rise up again and be willing to take up this torch and to hold it high in a dark night and declare the truth. See, Jesus was a witness. In fact, in Isaiah 55, verse 4, God said, Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Jesus suffered backlash. He witnessed the truth. Because he witnessed the truth, they took him to the cross. Why would we think that our lives should be free from the pressure of commitment to make a declaration? Being ashamed of him is not an option. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. The pilgrims are no longer here. Abraham Lincoln's no longer here. Abel is no longer here. Moses and the children of Israel that met God at Mount Sinai, they're no longer here. You and I are being called upon to be witnesses to this generation. And what Jesus said to his disciples he would say to you today that you shall receive power. 
after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, power for what? To feel good, to be blessed, to receive material increase in your life, to receive mental calmness or peace in your heart. All of those things certainly can come, but the primary reason the Holy Spirit comes upon you is that you might be empowered to have a martyr mindset, a martus mindset, to be witnesses, to live and to die for the truth, whatever is necessary. And I believe Jesus would also say to you what he said to his chief disciples. He said, you shall also bear witness of me, for you were with me from the beginning. Did he mean the beginning of a three and a half year ministry? Or did he mean the beginning when the earth was created? From the foundation of the world, the Bible said the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Our names were written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. In the very beginning, God had a plan and you were part of that plan and I was part of that plan. And there's a motivation that grips our souls that we may not be cognizant of that is an eternal ordination driving us to do something significant in our generation that will make a difference. And if we witness for him, I guarantee you, he will witness for us. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Yes, because they witnessed the truth, God bore witness of them with signs and wonders. And I pray the same thing will happen in your life as you rise up to bear witness of the truth, as you present the standard to your family, to your neighborhood, to your community, to your state, to your nation, to your world, that God will witness of his approval and send his fire on your life, just like he sent fire on Abel's sacrifice. That's my prayer for you. Do it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.